Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited to share a special Father's Day episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Pastor Derwin Gray. He's a former NFL athlete, now lead pastor of Transformation Church, also author of five books, married to Vicki. They have two kids, but just an incredible man of God, incredible man of high character, passionate about building a multi-ethnic church and just always preaching Jesus above all. So without further delay, let's jump right in. Well, thanks for joining me today, Pastor. Hey, you're welcome. It's my honor and privilege. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So just so the listeners kind of get an idea of of who you are, a little bit about your story, I thought it'd be good if you just talk a little bit about who you are, maybe like family growing up, a little bit about your family today. Yeah, man. So um, I am the husband of Vicki Gray. We've been married 28 years. We've been together 30 years. We met uh, January 15th, 1990, freshman year. I got a 24-year-old daughter, Presley, 19-year-old son. Uh, They're both in college. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, My mom was 16 when she was pregnant with me. My dad was 17. At about age 13, I recognized that football, which I can never, I don't know a moment in which I did not love football or sports. Mm -hmm. At about age 13, that's, it hit me that football was not only a game, it was a means to help me get out of the environment I was in. I went to a high school, I transferred to high school my sophomore year called Converse Judson, led by D.W. Rutledge right outside of San Antonio, Texas. And um, Judson now is, uh, I mean, we've got decades and decades of dominance, great program, but it was more than winning. Like they really instilled in you a culture and character habits that could take you for and far in life. So anyway, won a state championship and I got a football scholarship to BYU. Now I didn't come from an overly religious home. We didn't go to services. Uh, we didn't pray to get together. We didn't eat dinner together. So football in essence was my religion. It was my God. A God is anything that gives you affirmation, identity, and purpose. So I get to BYU I ended up having a great career, marrying my wife, going into my senior year. I get drafted to the NFL. First year was miserable, hardly played, didn't really have a lot of friends on the team, lonely. Second year, I start some games. It goes okay. Third year is when I hit my stride. I'm a team captain. I'm contributing on defense. I'm dominating on special teams. We made it to the AFC Championship game. We lost to Pittsburgh in the last few moments of the game. Jim Harbaugh was our quarterback, let, let us down the field. We lost it. It was tough. But at the end of that third year, it was like, so this is it. Hmm. Wow. So the external success did not fix the internal problems. Like, I still couldn't forgive myself for things that I had done. I couldn't forgive my family, specifically my dad for abandoning me. I couldn't love my wife the way she deserved to be loved because I didn't love myself. And I had this incredible fear that what would I do when football was over? Because I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. Mm. And I was like, man, I would be a nobody. And so it it was like this incredible fear. 
But in God's providence, um, when I got drafted by the Colts, there was a guy on the team named Steve Grant. Steve was a linebacker, and every day after practice, he had a ritual. He would take a shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist, and he'd get his Bible. And then he'd begin to walk around the locker room with his Bible asking my teammates, do you know Jesus? And in my mind, I'm like, do you know you're half naked? I mean, it was like the weirdest (laughs) thing, right? So I asked the veterans on the team, like, yo, what's up with the half naked black man walking around talking about, do you know Jesus? And they said, don't pay him no attention. That's the naked preacher. So over a five-year process, his words and his actions matched. He befriended me. He was patient with, with me. And on August 2nd, 1997, after lunch, fifth year in the NFL, training camp, Anderson, Indiana, I was with the Colts. After lunch, I went to my dorm room and I called my wife on the phone and I said, I want to be committed to you. And I want to be committed to Jesus. Wow. And it was like at that moment, like I felt when I was born again, like I felt the love of God. I, for the first time in my life, there was someone that loved me and they knew everything about me. You know, as athletes, we base everything on performance, right? So to get a, to get a starting job, you have to perform to get a scholarship. You got to perform to go to the NFL you got to perform. This was the first time in my life that someone saw my performance and it wasn't good enough, but they accepted me anyway. And, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that ever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that just overwhelmed me that there was somebody that loved me and they saw all of my sin, all of my darkness, and they still died for me. So that was August 2nd, 1997, fell in love with Jesus. Uh, My wife became a Christian about six months before me. And then in 1999, I retired from the NFL and didn't really know what I was going to do and got invited to go somewhere and speak at an event. And I've been preaching ever since and started Transformation Church in um, 2010. Wow, what a story. The naked preacher. I will will never forget that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I guess you, I guess he figured he had a captive audience, right? Uh, He did. (laughs) So you mentioned, you kind of walked through that, that journey of God calling you to where you are today. You've planted a church. You're also an author, um, written four or five books. You got a new one out called the good life. So talk about, Talk a little bit about that book and the primary message behind it. Yeah, you know what's interesting? Um, Today is June 16th, and there was an article in the St. Petersburg Times that said that Americans are the most unhappiest they've been since 1972. And I was like, I wrote a book about that. And so, um, in essence, what the good life is about is I walk people through the first part of the greatest sermon that's ever preached. Jesus in Matthew chapter five, verses three through 12, invites us to experience the good life. He invites us to experience true happiness. But what's interesting though, his definition of happiness is not about good things always happening to us. It's more about him making us good. Mm. And so the Beatitudes, eight characteristics start this way, blessed. Like the first one is blessed are those 
poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That word blessed is the Greek word makaros, and it literally means happy. So Jesus is saying, let me make you happy, but the happiness that I'm giving you is transforming you into the person you were created to be. So happiness is not about externals. It's about the internal, eternal work of God. And so happiness becomes more about who we're becoming than what's happening to us. And so I just walk people through that. I share football stories. I share sports stories. I write practical, accessible, because I really want people to get this and to be able to apply it. Because, you know, if we're looking for happiness in all the wrong places, persons or things, it's like it's like playing a football game without a playbook. You know, you're doomed to to fail. And Jesus is saying, I've got the answer right here. Literally, I show you and give you my power and life and love to make it happen. And I think, I mean, obviously God's timing is perfect, you know, given what's going on right now in our culture. I think that that book is right on time, not late. And I believe it's chapter eight that kind of walks through the beatitude that really addresses what's happening today. Blessed are the peacemakers. So can you kind of walk through that, just kind of give an overview of that one as it relates to what we're seeing today? Yeah, yeah. You know, I finished the manuscript in the fall of 2019, and that chapter on peacemaking, I opened up the chapter with the story of the Rodney King beating with with police brutality. And so, like, I had no idea I would be so prophetic, right? And, hmm. and so I opened up with the animosity between the black community, uh, communities of color with policing. We know that there are great policemen and police women. There are so many, but like with anything, there can be areas of brokenness and throughout history, we have seen that that's the case. And so what I try to do in the peacemaking is I show how Jesus gives us grace to become peacemakers and that actually makes us happy. And so what I do, is I give practical steps of how to go about racial justice, equality, and reconciliation. And so I think it would be great for coaches and their players to be able to read the chapter. I'm actually giving the chapter away for free. So if you go to the goodlifebook.net, you can get chapter eight for free. Obviously, we want you to buy the whole book, but you can sample it in chapter eight. We thought it was so important to be helpful that we want to give that chapter away for free. But it's a great resources that coaches can use, but also be able to teach it as a part of leadership to their athletes. Because, when you, because Stuart, when you think about this, think about the power of sports for societal change. Whether people agree with Callen, Callen Kaepernick or not, the NFL is basically apologizing to him. When you think about Muhammad Ali, when you think about LeBron James, when you think about the power of sports, if we could get a generation of athletes to understand racial reconciliation and justice, which basically just means this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is sacrificial. Mm -hmm. Love means I care about people and things that may not affect me, but because they affect you, 
I care. Mm, that's good. That's powerful. Cause you're right. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time about the role of sports in our culture. It's like, there's two things that unite us food and sports. Amen. <laughs> you know, you can, you know, and I, I, you know, we happen to like both of them. So, um, you know, and you're very vocal, obviously, you know, and have been not just to 2020 have been on the race issue. So can mm-hmm. you talk about maybe your experience with that and, and why you're so vocal about it that it can't be separated from the gospel? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I didn't grow up in church. I came to faith at 26 years old. So I didn't really have any filters or blinders or traditions. I just grabbed a Bible and read it. And so as I was reading the Bible, I kept seeing this Jews and Gentiles become one. Jews and Gentiles are the church. And I thought to myself, I know what a Jewish person is, but what is a Gentile? Mm-hmm. And I came to find out the Gentiles was everybody else. So the early churches were made up of people of ethnic diversity. And in the Roman world, Jews and Gentiles did not get along good. It was deep racism, all types of stuff, classism. But yet the early churches were made up of people who used to be enemies, but now they're friends. They used to be foes, but now they're family. And so as I began to study the Bible, I saw that the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, 13, he says, by the blood of Christ, those who are far away have been brought near. Verse 14, Christ is our peace. And he talks about breaking down the dividing wall. And he says the two Jews and Gentiles become one through the body of Christ. The hostility was put to death. And I thought, oh, my gosh. The blood of Jesus is more than just forgiveness of sins. It also gives you a family of different colored skins. And as I began to read more and understand more, this family was to teach the world what the father looks like when Jesus says, and you will know my disciples because they love one another. And so I have been beating this drum of gospel-centered multi-ethnic church for nearly 20 years because it's at the heart of the gospel. Jesus is a saving king who through his beautiful redemptive work on the cross and resurrection by grace, he creates this family that's made up of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and they are to learn to love each other. And so, Stuart, you are my brother. We have the same blood of Jesus in us. So if there's something that's hurting you, it has to hurt me because the Bible says we're the body of Christ. And unfortunately, throughout the history of the church in America and other parts of the world, too, because we're Americans, we'll discuss it. (laughs) White brothers and sisters have been silent or complicit in some of the injustices towards their black brothers and sisters. And so the gospel levels the plan field that says we're all one in Christ, equal in Christ. Therefore, we are our brother's keeper. I love that. I love how you talked about that ethnic diversity, gospel-centered church, because it, to me, the biggest frustration, and even inside the churches, is everybody looks at it through the lens of left and right, not Which, right and wrong. Or, and, and, and so let me say this uh, with as much tact as I can. <laughs> Late night cable TV has discipled Christians better than the church. Most Christians filter reality 
through late night cable than they do the Bible. So there have been people saying, well, Derwin, are you for Black Lives Matter? Is that why you went to protest? I'm like, you do know Jesus said, love your your neighbor as yourself, like 2000 years ago, right? You do know we planted our church way before Black Lives Matter movement. No, I'm against racial injustice because it's a sin. And sin fractures humanity and breaks the heart of God. And sin actually hurts the person who is racist more than the people they're racist towards because it dehumanizes you. Mm. And so therefore, uh, you know, this is a love your neighbor as yourself issue. This flows from the very heart of God. And you mentioned, um, you know, people ask why you've been involved in protests. So there are a lot of people that feel helpless, struggling with what to do, right? You know, and, you know, you mentioned white brothers and sisters been silent for years. Now there's a large group that are saying, I can't be silent anymore. So, you know, what advice would you offer them to, you know, because now they've sat on the sidelines for so long. Now they want to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what I did is in that chapter eight of my new book, The Good Life, is I give a short theology of ethnic reconciliation and steps that they can take. And so some of the steps is this. Number number one is listen. Mm. Listen to the story of the other. Number two, learn. Mm. Learn. And primarily learn at the feet of, of Christ. So when you read the Bible, circle every time you see the word Jewish, Gentile, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, Egyptian, Circle those ethnicities, and all of a sudden you'll begin to see the racial tension in which the drama engage. Racism is sin. Jesus came to destroy sin, right? Um, and then third is, um, how do I lament? Man, I need to lament going, how have I missed this? And then, who is around your dinner table? Mm. What I'll say to pastors is this. You can't lead a multi-ethnic church if you don't live a multi-ethnic life. Who, 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 who are the people around your dinner table that you're in relationship with? Research shows, and I, I shared this in my book, research shows that 75% of white Americans, their close friends are other white Americans. And so what happens is, is you have, you're in an echo chamber of sameness and people become stereotypes instead of human beings. So ask God to bring you friends that you can authentically love, authentically learn from. And then I would say, make sure that if you're a Christian, that you're listening to black and Latino voices, male and female. But I would encourage you, I would encourage every coach listening, get my book, The Good Life, learn it, study it, and as a devotional for this upcoming year, give it to your other coaches and in the off season, develop a leadership curriculum around it. Take nuggets and truths of it and begin to implement it deeply into your kids. Because ultimately, the good life is how do I become a citizen that makes a positive difference? And I know every coach wants to be known for more than state championships. They want their kids to come back and go, hey, look at my family. This is what I learned from you. So racial trauma 
is at the heart of not only the Bible, but also the culture we, we're in. So we need bridge builders flowing out of the sports world to go into the world because sports creates this brotherhood, this sisterhood that is so amazing. So amazing. That's awesome. I love that. We talked about before we hit record that a lot of our listeners are our coaches. So especially a lot of high school coaches listening. So what would you say to them um, and how to address the current issues outside of leading them through a devotional or a book, just at a time when, especially the high school level, you know, the, the community is telling coaches to, you know what, you coach football. We hired you to coach football and that's it. You don't need to get involved in cultural, cultural issues. How would you encourage a coach to, to address the current issues with their staff and team? Because, Silent no more. Yeah. Um, what I would say is this is typically parents who would say, hey, we just want you to coach are not parents who worried about their kids getting shot or pulled mm. over while driving black or who've ever experienced oppression. So I think that's the first thing is sports is bigger than just sports. Sports is a microcosm of what real life can be. And we should all want to be productive citizens, right? And so what I would say to the coaches is you want your coaching philosophy to not just make great athletes, but to make great citizens. And a part of being a great citizen is loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself is sacrificial, it's costly, it's painful, but it's worth it. And that's what we learn in sports. Sports is about teamwork, right? Sports mm -hmm. is about sacrifice, right? Sports is about caring for your teammates. Well, we're a part of a team called humanity and we should care. And sports should be able to be a conduit to teach children, young adults, how to be productive citizens in the world. Very good. I like that. Let me ask you a question, just how you balance. I mean, you're, you're a husband, you're a dad, speaker, author, pastor. How do you balance all that? Well, I think the first thing is this, is being a husband is not who I am. Being a speaker is not who I am. Being an author is not who I am. Uh, being a pastor is not who I am. Who I am is a beloved child of God mm. who happens to be a husband, father, pastor, author, speaker. So I don't believe in balance. I believe in 100% in Jesus. So what that mm. means is, this, is when my identity flows from Jesus, then I can get my priorities in order. So. God loves me not based on the books I write, the sermons I preach, how well I speak. God loves me because of Jesus and Jesus alone. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. All that I would ever hope to be is found in Jesus. God's grace is epic. So once I start there, then I can have my priorities. And what I mean by, by that is this. So once I get my rootedness in, I'm a beloved child of God. That means that my first love goes to my wife, not my kids, my wife, then my children, then my church, then the writing and the speaking. Because everybody listening here 
has a limited amount of energy. Energy is like gasoline. And the problem with, with this is that we give too much gas in too many places and we find ourselves on empty. And an empty coach is a mean, grumpy coach. Mm-hmm. An empty coach is not an intelligent, strategic coach. An empty coach is the kind of coach who will tell his players or her players, don't yell at the ref and they get a 15-yard penalty for yelling at, at the ref because they're empty. So you have to start with, 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 with this. I'm a beloved child of God. Let me pause here. I'm not sure who this is for, but I sense the Holy Spirit saying this right here, right, right, right now, for those of you listening. I just sense some of you are listening right now and you're going, I don't know who I am. Mm. I live with guilt. I live with shame. And Jesus right now is saying, will you believe in me? Will you allow me to be your sacrifice on the cross to forgive you? Will you allow me to be the love that you were created to receive? Will you allow me to give you the Holy Spirit's power? Jesus said these words, all those who are heavy laden and burdened, come unto me and I will give you rest. So right now, as you're listening, if you're ready to rest in the forgiveness of Christ, the salvation of Christ, just say this right now, right where you are. Lord Jesus, today I'm ready to rest. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again on the third day. And today I choose to follow you and live in your power. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. That's powerful. I I appreciate you sensing the Holy Spirit leading in that. That's well, it gives me chills. And and I just want to say, if there's somebody that is listening and prayed that, reach out to us. Send a message. Um, and what would you say to somebody that just prayed that prayer and you know and doesn't know the next step? You know, yes. you know, I said reach out, but what would you encourage them to do? Yeah, I know there's somebody in your life that you're like, okay, that person's a Christian. Let them know, okay? Let them know. And then they will be able to help you get connected at a ch- mm-hmm. church. If you don't have a church and you need to find a place in the meantime, uh, go to transformationchurch.tc. Tune into our messages. We've got sermon outlines av- available. We can help you grow, but there's probably people in your area that can help you as well. So go let s- anybody that you think is a strong Christian, go to them, let them know what you've done, and they can help you with the next steps. Along those lines, is there a, a favorite book of the Bible that you would tell a coach or a listener that just, yes, that, that we're, you know, just picking up the Bible has no clue where to start? What would you say to them right now? Yeah. So you want to go to the New Testament and you want to go to what's called the Gospel of John hmm. and just start there. Read slowly. Take your time. God is patient. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's the version Bible app, so that's free. Um, yeah, totally. That's awesome. I love that. That's just that's a powerful moment. You're the first guest to do that, and I just that just I love it. So encouraging. And I know there's somebody listening that is needed to hear that. Mm-hmm. So I want to close it out with a, a question. I, I love to ask. It's one that you know encourages me more than anybody. I think. But is there a a favorite scripture you have that's like your go-to that you'd share with us? Or maybe there's one that God's shown you recently that you'd share with us. 
Yeah, uh, I would I would say my go to is Galatians chapter two, verse 20. The Apostle Paul spoke these words, and I think it summarizes what our faith in Jesus is all about. And it says this. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Hmm. What that's saying is that the moment we say yes to Jesus, something uh, uh, something supernatural happens where Jesus literally takes up residence in us. And it says, I live by faith in the Son of God. To live by faith means trust. So as coaches, we say things like this, trust the process. Hmm. Well, trust the person of Jesus, trust him. And the rest of the verse says, Uh, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So Jesus doesn't say clean yourself up, fix yourself. He says, I love you as you are. And I gave myself for you. So what that does, that verse meets the three primary needs of a human being. One, we need unconditional love. Somebody that loves us at our worst. That's Christ. Mm. Then we need identity. The one who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself for you. There's no amount of state championships, recognition that's greater than the king of kings given himself for you. And then thirdly, we need power and purpose. Well, Christ says, I live in you. So that's my go-to verse. Galatians I love it. 20. That's a good one. We've got a a group of coaches. We're actually going through the book of Galatians this month. We're going through it five times, chapter a day, kind of recycling it. Um, Love it. So that's, that's awesome. That's good. Man, this is, uh, I'm fired up after this. I really appreciate your time and um, encouraging me, and I know encouraging many um, that, that, that are listening. And, and I'll put that note, the, the link to your website and the, the chapter eight, I'll put that in the, in, the, in the notes so people can just click on that. And for five more days, The Good Life is selling at a 50% discount at Lifeway. So I could use your support. Let's make this book successful. Thank you. Thank you again to Pastor Derwin for taking time to to share his heart, to share his story, to encourage us, to to challenge us. But as, as I look over my notes, there's so many things that I could talk about, but I just want to hit one thing. If you prayed that prayer, to say yes to Jesus, to to rest in Jesus, I, I would ask you to contact us via social media. Go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, type in All In Sports Outreach and send us a message. We'd love to, to pray for you. We'd love to help connect you with the local church and to walk you through the next steps. Or you can also go to our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. Contact us there. Thank you again for listening. I would encourage you to share this episode with someone today that needs to be encouraged or someone you know that uh, may needs to, to find Jesus today, that maybe this episode could help point them to Jesus and start that relationship. So thank you. We appreciate your support, your encouragement, and your prayers. And until next time.